Hello, and welcome to Sundays at Coastal. This week, Pastor Andy will be preaching out of Acts chapter 5 with a sermon titled, Generosity and Love, God's Battle Plan. When we are hurt, when we are in pain, when we see something going wrong, we have a lot of options before us. We can isolate, become bitter and resentful, deny our feelings and live with despair, trying to control everything and everyone around us while we are pretending to be fine. Or we can courageously speak the truth in love. It's easier to choose the temporary comfort of disobedience rather than the temporary suffering that might come with obedience. What's the story that we're in? Right? Well, no, no, hold on, hold on, hold on. The big story. The big story is that there's this massive story that we're in. Number one, there's always hope beyond our brokenness. Okay? We're learning as a church. This is what we did last week when we read about Ananias and Sapphira. We're learning as a church to speak the truth in the places of our life of brokenness. In the places of our life where we want to pretend that everything's okay, but it's really not. We're learning to speak the truth about that as a church. Second, we're called to trust in our risen Savior. And Jesus is alive and present. He was here in worship. Amen? Man, we're learning to trust him. I love Alpha because Alpha is a place where if you've been a Christian for a while or if you still are on the fence about what you believe or you have no idea about this whole Jesus thing and you're hoping the roof doesn't collapse on you this morning, that that's a place where you can watch the most incredible videos about our life of faith and you can have people that will actually love you and listen to you while you eat amazing food. I, I don't know any other place that's better than Alpha Um, when it comes to growing in your faith and growing and learning how to trust Jesus. So we trust our risen Savior. And then finally, we get to bring restoration. So Bev and John got to do that for their grandson because of you all. And who's Bruce going to bless this next week? We don't know, but it's going to be good. And we get to do that in all different areas of our church life. This is the story that we're in. No matter where you are in your journey, that God loves you. No matter where you are in your journey, we're learning how to trust Jesus more. No matter where you are in your journey, God wants to use you right now to be a blessing to someone else. Someone give me an amen. 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 Each one of these truths has a choice attached to it. Can we proclaim this, declare this together? Would you do it out loud? If you're at home, do it out loud, especially if you're alone. Or even more so if someone's next to you and they're not paying attention. Are you ready? Here we go. We are disciples who walk intentionally with God. Therefore, I choose to be changed by Jesus. I choose to seek Jesus first. And I choose to join Jesus in his resurrection work. Just imagining like a mother at home just saying that as her husband. I choose. That's funny. All right, never mind. I better get myself out of trouble and pray. Can we pray together? Would that be okay? Oh, Lord Jesus, thank you so much for all the good and beautiful things that you do in our life. God, thank you for the people that you put in our life that love us so well. God, I pray for the people right now who are not feeling loved or feeling alone in this place. You'd meet them this morning and 
minister to them this morning. And God, we ask that you'd speak to our spirits. We say to our own soul, awaken, O my soul. Help us to hear what you have to say through your scripture, Jesus. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So this passage of scripture today is a passage of scripture about how the Jewish people, which is like the original church, how they initially resist the fact that God the Holy Spirit is moving. And I want to tell you that this is a, not an easy sermon to preach because I think that the lesson for us and what God has been working in me is about how I resist the very Jesus I pray to all the time. So I think that's very human. If I do it, chances are you, you do it. So Tim and I are the only ones. Um, but no, we all ask desperately for God to show up in our lives. And then the moment that he does, when we're not in control, when our time line isn't met, when our expectations aren't met, what do we do? We resist God. And so we can't do anything today until we deal with that resistance. So would you be willing to not resist me and what the scripture is saying and what I have to say to you today about resisting God? Can I pray for us real quick? So Jesus, would you bind up and cast out and mute any resistance that's in this room to your kingdom, your plan, your word, your gospel, your truth. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Same goes for online as well. So I was meeting with a friend this week, and he told me about something that happens in all of our relationships. Uh, when we're hurt, when we're in pain, when we see something going wrong, we have a lot of options before us, but only a couple are helpful. Um, can I talk about some not helpful options? Number one, we can isolate. That's not helpful. Okay? When you're in pain, isolating, right, isn't helpful. I'm not talking about, like, taking a moment to catch your breath and not become a rage monster. I'm talking about isolating and being alone for days and days and weeks and months. Not helpful. Yes? Okay, second thing that's not helpful. Read this with me. We can be bitter and resentful. If you're being elbowed right now, pay attention. Holding on to the judgments that you get to judge the snot out of people is not helpful. You make a lousy judge. Amen? I make a lousy judge. Because the moment that I justly say that person wronged me and I want God, I want to do God's job. And I say, man, this world is messed up. If, if I was in charge, then I would do it this way. Then I start judging my own heart and I'm cruel and mean and vicious. Yes? yes. Okay, what else can be happen when, when unhelpful things, right? When, when we get hurt, right? Um, we can explode in anger. Not helpful. Um, anger is a very powerful feeling because it can make you feel, um, 
it can make you, it helps avoid the feeling of helplessness. Does that make sense? Men and women like anger. Well, it's acceptable for men to be angry in our culture, not so much for women. But we like the emotion of anger because it helps us to feel in charge. And the reality is, is that when you get hurt, you weren't in charge of that. Does that make sense? Okay. And then how about the last one? Can you read this with me? We can deny our feelings and live with despair, trying to control everything around us while we are pretending to be fine. Um, depending on what church you grew up in, you got trained in this one, right? I'm fine. Everything's fine. I love that acronym, freaked out, insecure, neurotic, emotional, right? I'm fine. Everything's fine. No big deal. I got it. Uh, And this is what I grew up doing, right? And based on personality types, you can even fall into these different categories. Not, Not helpful. So what would be helpful? Would you read this with me? When you are hurt, when you see something wrong, when you're in pain, speak the truth about what's wrong and tell the truth about how I feel about it. Huh. Yeah, easy to say, hard to do. Um, So when someone insults you or someone uh, mischaracterizes you or misjudges you, you say, well, when you said that about me, I felt mad. Or when you did this again, I felt alone or dishonored. Or when you failed to follow through, I felt rejected and unloved. Or when you tried to manipulate me, I felt frustrated and worthless. This takes courage to do. A lot of courage. And courage is trusting that Jesus is wise enough, loving enough to sort out the mess before you without you leaving, either physically or emotionally, or you fighting and continuing to hurt. Does that make sense? Courage is you believing that Jesus knows what he's doing and he's powerful enough to handle it without you either fighting and hurting or bailing. Does that make sense? Because oftentimes what we do in our marriages, in our relationships with our kids or our grandkids at work is that we want them to come close, but then we want them to run into the fist that we have for them. Come here, pow. That's not helpful. Or we say, no, 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 I'm just, I'm going to protect myself, and so I bail. And that might not be physically, that just might be emotionally, I'm going to shut down and leave. That's not helpful. Courage is, I'm going to share the truth about what's happening in my heart and in my life, trusting that as I share that, Jesus is wise enough and strong enough to sort it out. That's not easy to do. That's why it's courage. So last week, Levi, my 15-year-old, spoke the truth. He's in high school. He's a summer birthday. He's a freshman. He's a, I have two in high school. Jonah's a senior in high school. Levi's a freshman in high school. I can just taste freedom. It's coming. All of you with adult kids are like, no, nah, it doesn't work that way. I know, 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 I know. Let me live in my delusion. So last week, Levi, my 15-year-old, spoke the truth to April and I about one of the worst decisions that April and I ever made. 
For the first 10 years of Levi's life, we made the choice to keep our distance from our families, both of our families. And we listened to absolutely awful advice that our isolation or distance would somehow protect us. And Levi spoke the truth, that keeping our family at a distance didn't protect us, it only wounded him. And it takes profound courage to call your parents out as a 15-year-old. I don't know if you've ever had to do that or if your kids have ever had to do that. It takes courage to do that as a kid. And Levi did this with such grace and love, and he expressed his anger and his feelings and his hurt without causing more hurt, and it was amazing. Last week, my son showed me what courage looked like, the courage that I didn't have when I was his age, that's for sure. And the courage that I didn't have as a dad when he was a little one to stand up to bad advice and say, you know what, I don't like that. I don't like that idea. I think that's a bad idea, and I'm not going forward with that idea. I didn't have the courage to say that. In that moment, instead of actually expressing how I really felt and sticking to my guns, I did something that I'm not proud of. It was 10 years ago. I valued my own comfort rather than speaking the truth and love. Have you ever done that before? You ever done that? Have you ever avoided forgiving and speaking the truth about your hurt because it was just easier to swallow the pain and pretend you don't have the hurt and resentment? I told you this was not gonna be an easy day, right? So don't resist, right? Stay with me, stay with me. Have you ever avoided confronting the person you love with kindness and love because it's easier to either avoid that conversation, uh, is, it, is it easier to avoid that conversation altogether? Or have you ever used your anger and rage to get your point across because it was easier to feel powerful than to feel vulnerable? Yes. Yeah. Have you ever chosen to live in a lie instead of living with the suffering that comes with choosing with what you know is right? Let's just be honest. It's easier to not give to the church your money. Somebody say amen. Come on now. It's easier, right? It's easier to live with the reality of what's mine is mine and what's yours is mine. That's easy. Yes? It's harder to actually give. Give your time, give your energy, give your money, give your talent, give your resources because you're putting yourself out there. It's easier to say, I'm gonna love you as long as you don't inconvenience me. So when you call too late at night or when you um, interrupt my show or I just sat down for dinner and you need something, it's easier to say, oh, I'll get back to you rather than to say, I'm gonna love you right now and prioritize you right now. It's easier Next slide. To choose the temporary comfort of disobedience rather than the temporary suffering that might come with obedience. Somebody give me a reluctant amen. amen. And I need you to know something. Peter made all these choices in his life. And I've made all these choices. 
And you've made all these choices. Because we're human. Peter didn't want to give his money, his time, his energy to Jesus. But it's not really about the money for Peter. He didn't want to give up his schedule. Anybody have a hard time giving up their schedule for Jesus? Their expectations on when things should happen? Peter didn't want to give up his expectations either. If I follow Jesus, the Messiah, then everything's going to go great. Why would he get crucified? Anybody ever have an expectation about what you want God to do in your life? Right? That your investments always go up and to the right, that your children have no problems and require no parenting, that everything always works out in your life? And you're dangerously close to that delusion because you live on the central coast. Right? Right? You're not in Fresno where it's 108 degrees anymore. Yes? You escaped the living hell of Bakersfield and now you're here. Right? You left the Sodom, uh, you know, Sodom and Gomorrah of San Jose or Los Angeles and you ended up here and you think, now I'm living the good life. Right? And guess what? Problems still happen. And we do this in church constantly. Constantly. Christians are weird about church. Right? Why did he have to sing that song? (sighs) Are we going to get out on time? I mean, I want God to show up in my life, but it can't be five minutes more than my schedule. Why is he always speaking to me? Oh, I believe God can do anything, except I'm not going to show up or do anything because God won't work there. Peter lived by the mantra of my will be done, not thy will be done. Even though he prayed, thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He didn't want to love Jesus by forgiving the people that he didn't like. He didn't want to love Jesus by welcoming the children that he thought were unimportant. And Peter kept on choosing his own way, his own comfort, his own agenda. And then Jesus had to speak the truth and love to him and pop this bubble and said, Peter, before that chicken says, three times tonight, you're going to deny me. And Peter's like, nuh-uh. Because he wanted to live with the delusion or the perception that he was fine. And Jesus is like, no, no, you're resisting me all over the place. And Jesus is like, Peter's like, no, I'll die for you. And Jesus is like, no, you won't, but I'll die for you. And then on the shores of Lake Galilee, when Jesus cooked fish tacos for Peter and his friends, he restores Peter. And three times he asked Peter to do something to match each one of Peter's betrayals. Do you remember what Jesus asks Peter to do? Yeah, love and feed my sheep. In other words, next slide, to love others just like Jesus loves. And Jesus loves you no matter what time it is. And Jesus forgives you no matter how many times you mess up. And Jesus gives everything to you with no thought of how much it costs him. And Jesus doesn't put your prayers on hold 
or not respond to your cries because he's watching a show or has friends over or feels tired or would rather spend his money on a vacation rather than you. And Jesus is asking you and me to love others just like Jesus loves. To have the courage to speak the truth just like Jesus spoke the truth to Peter, even if it costs you. To have the courage to suffer for what is good and right, even though it might be easier to not. So, we're gonna read today how Peter, for the very first time in his life, starts doing the right thing and saying the right thing, and we're gonna find out why and how he got there. Are you ready? Are you ready? Here's a little background. Acts chapter five, starting in verse 14. Here we go. Now, many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. Holy cow. Are you kidding me? This is amazing. Can you imagine? Right? If everywhere that you went, people were just bringing sick people and you'd be like, your shadow fell on them and you're like, be healed in Jesus' name. And then they got healed. Can you imagine living that life? You were a commercial fisherman, dropped out of Mesa View Elementary or middle school, right? Didn't even make it to AG High. You dropped out, said, I'm going to go work, do commercial fishing in Morro Bay. You do that for a couple years, you come back, and then Jesus then helps you and saves you and redeems you. And all of a sudden, it's by your hands that people are getting healed. This is crazy. Are you right? So let's, let's keep on reading. Verse 16, read this with me. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Next slide. But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is, the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. Excuse? So a river of sick people are entering Jerusalem, and a river of healed people are leaving Jerusalem, and the one person that God has given all the power and resources and money to provide for the poor and heal the sick and pray for those in bondage is a guy named the high priest. An elected position, powerful, in charge of, in charge of hundreds of millions of dollars every single year that would come in. And he had the ability to make a difference in all these people's lives. And everything that God was supposed to do through the high priest and that system of, of care was now being done by eighth grade educated dropouts. Yeah. Yeah. And the high priest is jealous. Man, God is using an eighth grade educated fisherman to do his work? It's almost like God is using an eighth grade educated kid to confront me about things I've done wrong. Huh. 
What's our response when you and I get confronted? Remember the unhelpful ones? So the high priest arrests Peter and throws him into prison. And he thought they had solved that Jesus problem when he crucified Jesus. He never expected it to grow and grow and grow. But no worries. You just convene the same kangaroo court that crucified Jesus. You the same people, all of his friends, the Sadducees. And then you throw them in jail, and then they're guilty. You put them before the court, then they're done, and all this Jesus problem will go away finally and completely, right? And it's easy for us to do that. It's easy for us when we see people that we don't like or that we don't agree with, we just, we just convict them, right? We set up our own little court system of our opinions and our thoughts, and we say, well, they must be wrong. I'm not talking to the person next to you. I'm talking to you. (laughs) Let's read what happens. Verse 19. Ready? But during the night, an angel of the Lord. Say what? Yeah. Yeah. So Peter, here's Peter. He's preaching in the temple, and he has the courage to give up his schedule and to give up his small business, which is fishing, and to give up his time and his money. And he's all helping people that he doesn't know, strangers in need. That's what Peter's doing with his life. Peter was loving people just like Jesus loved him. This is like the only time in Scripture where we go, Peter, nice job, man. Way to go, right? And then what happens when Peter finally does the right thing? He gets arrested and thrown in prison, right? And maybe, what does he think? Well, he's in prison. What would you think if you were in prison getting arrested for doing the right thing? Yeah, enough of this. Or maybe, oh, maybe I'm going to get crucified now. Or maybe he prayed, Jesus, help me. Jesus, save me. Maybe he said, Lord, you know, free me. And then what happens? It's in the middle of the night, right? And the county lockup, the jail opens, and the guard is just standing there. And an angel comes in and goes, come on. And Peter's like, okay. (laughs) And the angel's like, let's go. And Peter walks out the door. What is Peter thinking? I've been set free. Now I'm safe. And the angel says, I want you to keep on preaching in the temple courts. Go back into the place where you just got arrested. Did you think that Peter was anticipating that one? Have you ever prayed, Lord, deliver me from this difficult relationship. Deliver me from this difficult situation. Help me, God. And God gives you all the resources so that you can stay. Dang it. Verse 20. Angel says, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Everybody's getting their Starbucks, and Peter just goes for it again, right? God saved Peter so Peter could continue to be courageous. And God will save you, not to free you from difficulty, but for the chance to be courageous again. So he goes right back into the difficulty, right back into the stress, right back into the danger, and he continues to speak the truth in love. 
Meanwhile, the high priests and the cronies, they just got their Starbucks, right? And they're convening their kangaroo court, and they're saying, okay, go get the prisoners, right? And instead, they receive this report back. This is one of the funniest moments in all of Acts. Ready? Here we go. They receive this report back. Read it with me. This is the guard reporting back to the high priest. We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. What? The high priest and his cronies freak out. And God has done this. I've seen God do this. I've seen God, right, deliver people out of very difficult situations, bondage, cap- capture. Literally, I know a woman that was captured and was about to be horrifically abused, and God literally rescued her out of that, blinding her captors so that she could walk out free. Right? This happens to me on a regular basis, right? I put a guard on the pantry, and I say, a cookie shall not leave this pantry. And then the angel of the Lord delivers them to me. It's a miracle. Mm. So the high priest and his cronies, they can't figure out. What do you mean the guards? You were awake all night long? Yeah, I was awake all night long. Is the door unlocked? No, the door's not unlocked. How, did they what? Did they disapparate? What in the world? Did beam me up, Scotty? How does this work, right? They just got set free. And then someone checks their Instagram feed, and there's a live feed of Peter preaching uh, in, this, in, in the temple again that morning. And literally, they walk out of the prison, which is right next to the temple, and they pop their head out the door, and there's Peter and his friends preaching again. And they're like, what the heck is going on? So they go get Peter, and, and, and they say, hey, um, we need to talk with you. We have this small administrative matter. And Peter and his friends are like, okay, fine. And they go, and what Peter and his friends show up to is literally a trial. Verse 27, read this with me. High priest is going to level charges. Here here are the charges. Read it with me. And when they brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. What do you mean, this name? It's the name of Jesus. Specifically, Jews, um, they would not say God's name, Yahweh, right? That was sacrilege, that, that whatever contaminated, contaminated things in our lives, our sin, our foolishness, we would never want to contaminate the name of God by actually speaking it. So instead of saying the name Yahweh, Jews to this day say the name Hashem. Hashem is the Hebrew name that literally means the name. Does that make sense? So when, when Jews pray, oftentimes they pray to Hashem, the name, the name that is above every name. That's why Paul says that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is, is Lord because he's the name above all names. He's the God above all gods. He's the king of kings the Lord of lords. Does that make sense? So the high priest is like, you can't, Jesus is not that guy, right? That's not, and by the way, quit blaming us for his death. 
and the high priest hates that Peter is telling the truth. Jesus, the Messiah, wasn't killed by Rome. He was killed by the church. The, very, the church, the very church whose job it was to welcome Jesus as our Messiah and King. Guys, 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 listen, listen. I need you to hear a really hard and uncomfortable truth. We are often the high priest. We are often the church that resists our living Savior, whom we claim that we want, but when he does show up in our lives, we don't wanna give up our schedule, we don't wanna give up our preferences, we don't wanna give up our expectations, we don't wanna give up our tastes, we don't wanna give up our money, our time. We don't wanna love like Jesus loves, we want Jesus to love us, and then we want to love people when it's convenient for us. Guys, 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 listen, listen, listen. Be very, very careful before you criticize those who, who are courageous enough to use their gifts for the sake of others. Be very careful. Think very hard if you're willing to put yourself as a point of resistance or criticism to what God is doing or against the people who are courageous enough to give their time and energy and love for other people. Does that make sense? There's people in your family right now that are doing everything that they can to hold your family together, to love well, to give their time and energy, and they're being criticized by you. There's people in this church and in other churches who are courageously leading with everything that they have, and they're being criticized by the church. Am I saying that you can't point out when something wrong happens? No. Be courageous to speak the truth in love. What am I saying? I'm saying that we don't want to put ourselves in the position of the high priest that's resisting the gospel. And the gospel is nothing short than the miraculous and incredible news that the God of the universe has loved you even when you're more broken than you want to admit loved you so much beyond anything that you dare that you could even hope to be loved, and then he's asking you to love other people in the same way. The gospel gives you another amazing tool in addition to speaking the truth when you're hurt, and it's the tool of encouragement. Um, th this guy, next slide, is Sir Walter Scott, and he was the leading literary figure. He was like bestseller in New York Times bestseller, but in Britain a long time ago when they dressed and looked like that. And um, no one could write as well as he could. He was published in every paper almost every week. He was a poet. He, was, uh, he wrote books. He was, he was like the best author in all the world. I don't know who your favorite author is, but just imagine he's better than Tom Clancy. 
if you're a guy, uh, and maybe if you're a woman under the age of 40, it's Leah Bardugo. I don't know. Um, but it, it, imagine the best author in all the land. That's Sir Walter Scott. Then this upstart, Pipsqueak, comes along, and he's terribly good looking. Um, his name was Lord Byron, and everybody started loving Lord Byron. And soon, an anonymous critic who would normally um, pick apart um, other authors, this critic began to praise the works of Lord Byron in the main London Times paper, and he declared, the critic declared that the presence of Byron's genius far outweighed whatever uh, Walter Scott could put together. Do you know who the critic was? Sir Walter Scott. See, that's what the gospel can do. What the gospel can do is help you celebrate others because you know deep in, their, in your bones that what they are doing, even though you might not like, like it, even though it might be better than what you could do, even though it might be not up to your preferences, is given to them by God for them to do, and they're having the courage to put it out there. Somebody say amen. amen. So if you don't prefer the music here, celebrate Zed and Kilo and Matt. And if you don't prefer the preaching or the teaching here, celebrate Paul and I and whoever leads. And if you don't like the announcement guy, celebrate Joe no matter what. <laughs> and if you don't like the food, then get out because there's nothing better than what we do here. Like literally, right? Stop complaining already. Okay? Why am I telling you all of this? Right? Because I read this passage this week and the Holy Spirit then wrecked me. And he said, Andy, you're the high priest. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I am. I'm the one who often makes the mistakes of criticizing or fearfully controlling all of the gifts that are being given here. Because I, oh my gosh, I'm jealous or I'm not in control. And I don't want to go to heaven and Jesus say, Andy, I was bringing revival. I brought the right people to lead in just the right way. And you said, no, it didn't fit my schedule. Do we want to hear that from Jesus? In the book of Acts, what we see the Holy Spirit is doing this. You know that you're filled with the Holy Spirit when in the middle of your conflict with another person or in the middle of your difference of opinion, what you want most for them is to be healed and transformed and changed and blessed and by God. And you're willing to help So what does Peter say to the high priest? It's great. He says in Greek, up yours. <laughs> no, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. This is what he says. Peter and the apostles answered, we, read it with me, we must obey God rather than men. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Meaning, I must love others. I must give my life to others. I must speak the truth even if it costs me. I must love others even if it costs me. Even if everybody says to do the opposite, I'm going to obey God rather than what everybody else says. Let's keep on reading. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed 
Oh, snap. The very thing the high priest didn't want to hear, Peter says again. He's still speaking the truth. He's not being mean. Verse 31. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior. Ho, 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 ho. That word leader, it's the same title that the high priest has. Jesus is the high priest, buddy. He's the one who sacrificed everything in order for all these people to be what? God exalted him as right hand, as leader and savior to, to do what? To give repentance to Israel and? And this is what Peter's doing right in the middle of this horrible sham trial. Is he's saying, hey, Mr. High Priest, you could be forgiven too. And you could repent too. And you could get out of the position of trying to be in control and freak out. And you could step down and you could let God heal you. So the high priest, he gets some advice from other people in the council. One of the guy, Gamaliel, he says, let's not murder him. And he goes, okay, fine. So they give Peter and his friends a flogging, which is an act of mercy, which is basically you get beaten with a rod that's about as big around as a wiffle ball bat until you can't stand anymore. So I don't know, broken wrists, broken bones, shattered ribs bruises, spitting up blood. That's called church discipline. <laughs> and then they put, leave Peter on their way. I need you to know that sometimes when you speak the truth in love, you're still going to suffer. Sometimes when you share about what someone's doing that hurts you, they're still going to do it. Sometimes when you give up control... And, and, you're, and, and you're literally just, you, you get out of that position of criticizing and trying to control everything and, and you let go just a little bit, sometimes bad things are gonna happen. Free will stinks sometimes because other people's free will is gonna impact you. That's life though. What do Peter and his friends do? Last verse. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were... Read this awful sentence again. This is my least favorite verse in all of Acts. Are you ready? Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for... For... Hashem. For the name that is above every name see you guys Jesus he suffered every dishonor for you when you exploded in rage in your rebellion when you left in your rebellion when you didn't speak the truth in your rebellion when, when, when you were absolutely self-centered when every word coming out of your mouth was just criticism and anger when you tried to control everything, even though you've been given all the resources of heaven, Jesus's response to you is to forgive you and suffer for you, dishonor, so that you could be honored and forgiven 
and reconciled and brought home. And now Jesus is asking you to do the same thing. This morning, you might have someone that you need to apologize to. This morning, someone might come to you and apologize, and you're going to need to let go of your bitterness and resentment and actually forgive them. This morning, you might be the person that has been discouraged over and over and over again, and you're trying your best, and I'm here to tell you this morning, be encouraged. God sees you, and he loves you. Could we become a church that loves like Jesus? Let's try that again. I'm going to land the plane on this one, okay? Could we become a church that loves like Jesus? Would you be willing to pray that that would happen in your heart first? Let's pray. Holy Spirit, would you please change our hearts? God, forgive us for our entitlement and for our arrogance and for our criticism. Forgive us, Jesus, that we start first with trying to correct everybody else except our own hearts. Forgive us, Jesus, that we blame and get very selfish so quickly. And we're asking Jesus now for your generosity, your love, your compassion, your eyes to see the people around us and encouragement that would fall from our lips. Lord, change us. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Listen, I, I, I love you. Thank you for letting me say hard things to you. Would you stand for the benediction? If you want prayer this morning, come, come forward. Our prayer team will pray for you. And when you walk out the doors, we have incredible food for you. Check out Alpha. See if that's a good fit for you. And head across the street for table talk. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance. That's his delight in you and give you the peace that passes all understanding in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, God bless you guys. Have a great day. Pastor Andy Rock is the senior pastor of Coastal Community Church. It's located in Grover Beach, California and serves communities across the Central Coast. Join us online each week on Sunday morning at 9 a.m. for our weekly live stream. We also have two in-person services at 9 a.m. and 10.40 a.m. in our sanctuary. Coastal Community Church is located at 1830 Farrell Road, Grover Beach, California. For more information, visit our website, www.mycoastal.org. Thanks for joining us, and I hope you have a great week.